Welcome to Real Indigenous, where these Indigenous people uh, get real about what's on our screens and everything in between. I'm one of your hosts, Sunrise Tipikani, Madewika. Um, we'll hear from our other hosts here, as usual. Tully? This is Tully. Sio Hawaii, this is Candace Bird Boney. Uvala Luatak, Uvanga Angela, with a very raspy voice. Yeah, so we're gathered here with the great Pishon Bread, multi-talented, working in many industries, fashion, uh, filmmaking, uh, television. So we're going to hear some words about her creativity, things that she's been doing recently. We kind of want to hear a lot about her uh, fashion interest, and then we'll hear about a short film that's kind of on the film circuit right now, and then maybe a little bit about what's going on in her life. So Pishan, uh, introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Pishan Bread. I am Comanche, Kiowa, and Cherokee. I'm originally from Oklahoma City, but I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico with my two cats where I work on production and never have a schedule to feed them. But they do get fed, don't worry. Anyway, I work in film and fashion. I try to identify identify myself as a fashion creative because I tend to do a million different things. Same with film. I identify myself as just a filmmaker because it's really hard to start listing out everything individually. But I am so happy to be here with y'all today and to talk a little more about film and fashion because they're my absolute passions. Didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. <laughs> <laughs> Recently at First Americans Museum, you had a show, right? So we had a fashion show at the First Americans Museum back in April. That was with Teton Trade Cloth. That was the second annual fashion show that they did last year. They did a fashion show. and It was honestly my first time ever putting together a fashion show. So this is my second time putting on a fashion show and it just got really huge. I don't know how or I don't know how it exploded to be into such a big show, but it ended up being about three hours long this year. Last year, I had started off the fashion show and um, we had split it into one day. So we had two fashion shows in one day. One was like an emerging designer show and the second one was like a gala fashion show, like in the evening. And we also did a, a model workshop where we had about like 37 models kind of like learn more about the industry and how to walk, get digitals and kind of establish themselves as models. So we did that as on top of it. But this year we had 127 models and we had 11 designers crammed into one evening of just fashion, fun and creativity showcasing the fabrics and designs from Teton Trade Cloth. So every designer had incorporated a bit of Teton Trade Cloth's product into their designs. And it was so beautiful to see all the different uh, tribal uh, representations within their designs. Yeah, how did you go about selecting these designers, right? Because they're from all over the place. Yeah, so originally uh, what I did is I had a kind of like a form. We had people apply to be a designer and we went through each of the um, applicants and picked out 11 people who really showed what they had made with the fabric and with Teton's um, materials and their and all their different supplies and they were selected some of them were emerging designers from last year's show so it was good to see like how they've started off as a designer and grew within that year and to see them apply again as designers was incredible it was a beautiful experience so Anyone and everyone could apply. Uh, you know, you just have to be indigenous and use Teton's product, which was really interesting for Teton to be able to um, put out there and for them to want to showcase and show the um, variety of different designs that people can make with their stuff. Can you talk a little bit about some of the specifics of things that you saw in terms of like grow, like the growth of any of the designers that you saw from last year? So the growth with some of the designers from last year as with this year, you know, you saw a lot of different uh, designs being created, different risks being taken. And I just loved it. I loved how, you know, you could literally see that they've been practicing and that they've been working on their designs and sewing them and putting them together and having a better idea of like composition and really understanding what it is to have a fashion line and to have it on a runway. Also like another fun thing about it was seeing some of the designs from last year have a fully fleshed out uh, playlist for their runway because they've done shows from that time and were able to grow and to take each 
fashion show that they participated in, you know, as a part of uh, learning and to really uh, grow from it. So it was beautiful to see that and to see anything and everything from like makeup concepts to how they wanted their models to walk, the music, the clothing, everything that like every little bit showed some growth within these designers. And I'm just like so proud of everybody that was able to showcase. We had 11 designers and the furthest that we, the designer that traveled the furthest was all the way from New York and she was Mohawk and she was um, Queen of Ribbons designs. And so it was wonderful to see her bring Mohawk fashion and style to the runway. And that was her first ever runway show. She had never done a fashion show before. So to see her come out with like this full collection, Mohawk inspired, also inspired just by her designs, just to see like a fully fleshed out collection. I thought it was so gorgeous and incredible and really uh, made me think of the platform that it provides to so many people and like the confidence and courage that it gives to so many different designers. With growth comes the development of voice can you talk a little bit about what it means to have an indigenous voice uh, articulating through these forms of fashion um, especially when we're in a world dominated by non-indigenous fashion and artwork absolutely so i think one of the biggest things with native fashion is that there's a sense of um, humility like native people just ourselves as uh, individuals we're not used to talking about ourselves are really like pushing ourselves into those spaces. So I think the beauty of the confidence I've seen a lot lately is just the fact that so many people are feeling that inner strength and confidence and putting it into their work and pushing boundaries and pushing their um, designs forward and their heritage, their culture, everything, just by having that inner voice and that sense of strength and confidence. And I think that, um, especially in this industry where it's so white dominated, because I mean, fashion was like the fashion industry was created and caters to a lot of white voices and designers and styles and things of the sort. So I think that with each and every single designer that comes up, whether they're small, whether they're just starting, whether they've been in the business for years, it's still a step forward for so many people to look up to these people and just to put their voice out there and their designs and to feel like they belong there. And what's the most beautiful part about the Teton fashion show, what I really liked is it wasn't just, you know, fashion designers. It was also the models too, feeling like, yeah, they could wear indigenous designed clothing and yeah, there is a space for it. And yeah, they could walk on an actual runway wearing native designed clothing. And to see so many of these designers take off after this too, because what we try to do with the fashion show is we try to do like photography just so designers and models can have this for their portfolio and they can take it to further places and go out into the world and do different fashion shows. Like I follow, I follow every single designer that we had from last year mm-hmm. on Instagram. And I just love seeing their posts where they're just like doing a fashion show in Santa Fe for India market, or they're doing something in their home communities, or they're doing sewing classes or doing design lessons or doing modeling classes, things of the sort. I think it's beautiful that we're all here for each other. And when we build a community and when we build a space together, it can push so many people forward and it pushes all of us in that limelight. When one person takes a huge step on a New York fashion runway, that's a step for all of us. It's a step of recognition. It may not be all of our different like levels and things of the sort, all of our cultures, but it's still a push forward. It's still showing that indigenous fashion belongs somewhere. Yeah, I'm glad you're also mentioning the models because that is definitely like, that's like one of the first things that we, I feel like, see a shift in almost immediately. And then we start seeing the materials, we start seeing the design, um, but connecting to a human, it seems like that's pretty critical. And then finding the match between like the design and the right model. Um, I'm curious if you saw any... I guess like the, I don't know how to like, thinking about that match is really interesting part of all of this. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just curious if you have any thoughts about who was selected, how the match between the material, the design, the people, and then the experience for the viewers, I guess, um, if you could speak to any of those things. I think um, most of, well, I hate to be like super dry about it, but you know, with 
fashion shows and things like that, it really, and I hate to say this, God, it's such an awful statement, but <laughs> it really depends on size and how many models can fit into the designer's garments because these mm -hmm. are garments that they make in whatever sizes that they do and before they see any models. The thing that was different with this fashion show is that we were able to do a model call as well. So we did like a public model call. We invited anyone and everyone of all gender sizes and looks and tribes to apply. And when they did, we had like, I think it was 125 models that applied. And uh, I was calculating it and I was like, okay, we have 11 designers, we have 125. If each designer did 10 looks, I'm like, oh crap. Right. That's a, that's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of people. <laughs> I'm like, that's a lot of models. That's a lot of people. But, um, you know, once we had all the photos of the models and their sizes and their measurements and everything, we sent it over to the designers for them to kind of pick out and figure out who would be able to fit in their garments. But one of the most beautiful things that, you know, hearing from the designers, because we did like a couple of orientation calls and things like that, hearing that they were going to make pieces for the models that they selected. Mm. That was really sweet and wonderful to hear. Like they would make them based off of the sizes that they read for that model. Like once they selected someone, they were going to make something specifically for them. And I thought that was so sweet because we had so many different sizes. And that's something I'm always pushing forward with um, the Teton Fashion Show and with um, doing fashion shows like this. Because I've been in the fashion industry for a very long time. And I've seen like, I have been told I am like too chubby and I'm like a size two. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I was like 16 with already crippling and crushing um, self-esteem. So <laughs> I never want anyone to experience that or to feel that way or to like let that stop them from doing something that they want to do, like modeling. I always try to make sure that we can expand and have different sizes and have uh, models of different walks of earth and have like them wear the different designers and things like that. So I thought it was really special that we had our designers pick their models and kind of figure out what they were going for with their looks. And then all of it came down to makeup looks as well and doing mm -hmm. hairstyles because the most important thing with modeling is not, well, one, it's individuality, but two, it's the idea of being a blank canvas and being able to have anyone mm -hmm. paint with that canvas and to create whatever they can from your look. Something that's also really beautiful about the fashion show and that we were able to portray and have and let everybody feel and just embrace themselves and to go with the designer's looks as well. I don't know much about fashion, but you know, when you see the fashion shows and fashion mm -hmm. models, it seems like there's the same person that's carrying the fashions, at least in the larger fashion shows. And to think about the the way that us as indigenous people and the way that we would fit our fashions I think that's a great idea that we we have to, if we could figure out, because I, like I said, I don't know how fashion works, but if we could figure out how to get us together as person and design and have them conglomerate, if that's a term of their mm -hmm. of the clothing and the person. I think that's really cool. And that's not really a question, but I was really like, <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I like that idea, the concept. And actually you do have a, one of the models that were there that's on this on this uh, discussion right now. Mm -hmm. Angela was there. I would love to hear how she thought of the event as a model because I was like, I was wearing a ribbon shirt that day and my ribbons were like flying everywhere. I was running from like one end to the fam to the other. So like, I didn't really have time to like check in on everybody. I would just take the microphone and make little updates and be like, all right, y'all get ready at this time. Goodbye. And just run off. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear from Angela. I thought it was so much fun. Everyone was so supportive and excited for each other and complimentary and just really, it was so inclusive. And I was so nervous, but, you know, everybody was just so kind and I ended up having just the best time. And I, I don't know how you did it. I mean, I, I saw you running 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 we were just like oh my gosh how is she keeping her cool with all of this and especially in those big old shoes those big old high heels <laughs> oh my gosh thank you i'm happy that you had such a wonderful time uh, i think like for myself i just remember being in fashion shows and they were like there was like the mean girl attitude like people were like oh you slouch or you do this when you walk and i'm like okay but who's opening um you know kind of <laughs> 
<laughs> it's true. But um, you know, like I've being in a fashion environment, I'm just used to it being so like quick and just like no one having a voice, no one actually legitimately having fun. All of it just being like, okay, you get on the runway, you get off, you get in front of the camera, you take your photos, kind of just like back to back. And so with this fashion show, I was like, shoot, we're in Oklahoma. We're going to have fun. Okay. Like, this is going to be great. We're in my hometown. We're going to hang out. Everyone's going to see each other. It's a community event. All the models know each other too, because there's like kind of a modeling community starting in Oklahoma. But one of the funniest moments to me is when uh, we did, we did model rehearsal. We did like a designer rehearsal and then we did a full fashion show run through where we did like the DJ and the models walking with their designers. And then we just like did cut, cut, cut through re the rehearsal. But when we were doing the individual designer rehearsals, um, the models, because we, I didn't do a model workshop this year. And usually I would, because we had a lot of first time people, but the people that were there from last year's model workshop, they would see me at the end of the runway and they would just make direct eye contact with me. And I'd look at them and be like, are you okay? They said, yeah. Um, can you, critique me and like all of them were just like terrified of me for some reason and I'm just like why are you guys terrified like we're trying to do a run through I was like I can pull you aside later and we could go through but they're just like yeah but you're watching and I'm just like I'm just here I'm trying to chill bro <laughs> <laughs> I'm like come on we're running out of time that's the thing we don't really uh, know about because like I said whenever we see fashion week and fashion things happening we're seeing the stage but unless you're there behind the scenes, and I've only been to like one or two of those kind of behind the scene model things, it is a fucking high intensity shit. You're like all over the place. People's trying to change clothes out and all this other crazy stuff. And it's probably that, you know, that builds up your insecurity of how you're like, and then there are those people who are just like, ah, 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 yelling at everybody. So I can see how that <laughs> that was not that was not the vibe at all. Everybody was so excited to be there, and all of the vet like the veteran models were showing all of us newbies how to pose, and telling us you know how to walk with confidence, and it was just really really cool. It's sort of like a real time workshop a little bit, like workshop by fire a little bit, but. The fact that there are, is guidance from those that probably were there last year. You know, I think there's something really kind of almost traditional about the fact that you're being guided by something, going through the process and that sort of like one-on-one -on -one mentorship. That's very cool. I think that the variety of styles was remarkable. The fact that after anyone would come off the runway, they would get high tens, not just high fives, but high tens from everybody in line was just awesome. Michelle, can you talk a little bit about voice? We're kind of like talking about voice and we, I think, maybe have a general idea of, a, of that. But when you're selecting and you're picking who's going to be participating, what are you looking for as part of voice? For designers, what I'm looking for when it comes to voice is I'm looking for anyone who is willing to push boundaries and push through the, the uncomfortability of fashion and just like kind of go in spaces where indigenous people haven't been seen you know like to really say something with their designs like if i look at their designs and i'm looking at their dresses and i go oh my god these are really like out there they're really whether they have like a lot of a ton of fabric or something like i'm getting an idea from someone i'm getting like visual aesthetic from someone just by them using their voice just from sewing and um you know i think that when people design things, I mean, when I design things, for example, it's, you know, you're making a statement and I'm looking for that statement of what someone is trying to say with their designs. Are they trying to um, embrace femininity? Are they trying to cover up and kind of like show the different ways to showcase a certain type of fabric? Like I'm just looking for something that they're saying with each and every collection. Um, I think one of my favorite collections that that I saw, it wasn't a designer, but we had an accessory designer. So what we did is that we had fashion designers and then we had accessory designers, designers that yeah. would come in and just accessorize models and put their things on yeah. the designer. Like the designers would collaborate with them with accessories. But one of the things I really loved was um, Shady Pretends Eagle. She goes by Snow mm -hmm. Ink mm -hmm. and she does like these body harnesses and 
I just loved the fact that I have never seen a beaded body harness before. And here she was like making them. They were just like a choker and it'd go around the waist and it was like just straight down. And I had never seen that before. Like I've seen tons of renditions of like beaded earrings or beaded hats, but never have I ever seen something that was so different like that. And what I also loved is that she had these like really blingy chains. Mm-hmm. And then she did like these little medallions and it had like people's names on it or it would say something. So it was kind of <laughs> like, it was kind of like those blinged out um, chains that you would see from like the nineties, but it was like done in beadwork style. And so for that, like just seeing that, I was like, oh my God, I love what she's pushing. And I love that she's saying there's so many different ways for beadwork to be accessorized, not just on the earring, just not just, just not earrings or medallions or bracelets or things like that. Like she just pushed the boundary. And that's what I really loved about it. And so seeing more of her work, I was like, holy crap, she has to be a part of the show. Like she has to have some of her stuff accessorized with the other designers. Cause I'm sure some designers would love to have that little extra flair. And literally when she was there backstage, people were taking pictures with her. Like people were just like, oh my gosh, I've never seen your work before. Like I've never seen work like this. It's beautiful. And so someone like that making body harnesses and having mm-hmm. all these models line up and be like, can I please wear this? Like, can I please mm-hmm. just her having her own authentic voice and not being afraid to push that boundary in accessories and in beadwork has so much love and respect coming towards her from many people. So I think that's like, that's a pretty good example of what I try to look for in fashion shows. Something that that I uh, picked up from my grandma, she she made clothes and she made regalia and she made a uh, fashion. She called it a style show then, but I was asking um, a mentor the other day the difference between style show and fashion show. And she said she thought it was generational. Like back in the 50s and the 60s, they were like style shows. But now nobody has style shows. They're fashion shows. And something that my grandmother, and I know this is probably just personal preference, but I wondered, can you... Sh- Tell me like maybe a specific example of maybe your favorite. My grandmother was very, very upfront and always adamant about her designs and things that uh, that she clothed people in. She wanted them to be practical. She wanted them to be functional. My grandmother grew up in the 40s, you know. Uh, fabric is precious fabric is expensive so we must save all the fabric and everything you wear must be functional it must be comfortable if I put my name on it it's not going to fall apart you know that the so she was very she was very strict about that and her clothes still stand the test of time to this day and then there are pieces that are more sculptural that are more uh are like I guess you would think of it as a fine art piece you know and there are these pieces that look super fun or and or dangerous or really cool or adventurous to wear but they're not something that you would go that you would go to santa fe indian art market in you know but um i wondered if you have like do you have specific examples or specific times that something that was super maybe like something that you've worn perhaps or maybe something that you saw recently that uh do you have examples of like something that was super functional? What was that silhouette like of that garment versus or maybe a more sculptural, more uh, a sculptural piece? In my modeling career, I've worn a lot of sculptural things or things that would be seen as unconventional to go to the grocery store. And like I've literally just had like a poncho type thing. And then there was like fringe on the side and you could definitely like see everything. Um, that I would not recommend going to a grocery store. <laughs> but the fact that it was like native designed and I was like, yeah. you know what? I love it. Like, I love the fact that someone was like, I'm going to make this. Here it is. Boom. Let's go. And I'm walking down the runway. I'm like, okay, I'm not going <laughs> to sway too. I'm not going to sway back and forth too much with my walk because I don't want, you know, I want this garment to be going down one way, not a bunch of different directions. But um, I just, I love the fact that like indigenous people are, doing things that are sculptural and seen as like unconventional because a lot of people, what a lot of people like think of with native fashion is, you know, leathers and feathers and fringe. And they think, oh, this is like conventional for native people. And I know that some native people, for example, my favorite thing is the ribbon skirt dialogue because um, when we talk about ribbon skirts, people are like, this is ceremony. And some other, you know, other people are like, well, it's like everyday wear. you're supposed to, have some sort of like style to it so 
we constantly as Native people go back and forth between like what is ceremony and what can be worn every day. And I think that's kind of like one of the dialogues that goes into fashion design as well. They think, what can I bring out from my culture that could be worn every day, but not taken as ceremony? So for example, like ribbon shirts too. It's like, like the ribbon shirt I was wearing had like pearl snaps and everything. And it had like <laughs> little like peace signs all over it. And it was like short sleeve and wearing that, you know, itself, that was a conventional piece. But a lot of people were like, I've never seen a woman or femme presenting person wear a ribbon shirt. And I was like, dang, you know what? You're right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, with fashion, we tend to um, identify ourselves in so many different ways. So I think just like something as conventional as a ribbon skirt or ribbon shirt and wearing that in an everyday setting is pushing some type of boundary. Mm. And you may, even if it's doing it around like friends and family at a powwow or something, like my favorite ribbon skirt that I've seen recently was the uh, ribbon skirt, but it's got like a cutout and it's a deer leg on it like where it looks like someone's dear woman yeah <laughs> it's beautiful i've seen those those are it's great beautiful that's that's <laughs> top tier native art like that is going to be I, that needs to be in a museum when we talk about like the 2020s like mm -hmm. when we're way older people are gonna yeah. be like the influence of res dogs on native mm -hmm. fashion boom mm -hmm. that skirt's gonna mm -hmm. be in there <laughs> just watch how do you how does it make you feel like seeing like because I feel like I'm seeing this complementary thing where pop culture is affecting, fa you know, native fashion and native fashion appears to be affecting, you know, like pop culture, like native pop culture. And then I don't know, I just I geek out and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I want to see like I, I bought like a beadwork piece and it was of thing you know from the new Wednesday Adam series and I just I loved it I was just like oh my gosh I gotta have that and they made the hand you know I identifiably native so I was just I have to have that so and I'm like I wonder how does it make you feel to see like this beautiful fusion going on oh I love it I love the fact that I mean from the beginning of media there's always been native people who take media and take pop culture and bring it to um, bring it to their art. One of my favorite things uh, I like to look at out here in the Southwest is like the 1920s to 30s to 40s um, jewelry pieces of like Mickey Mouse yes. or how they have like those inlay turquoise pieces and they have yes. like full squash blossoms of it and it's like Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Minnie Mouse and like all of them just like done in inlay style. So when yeah. we look at things like that like it only makes sense that you know, some of our influences would come from pop culture and and what it means to take pop culture and make it ours is so sincere. And I think it's kind of like a way of people wanting pop culture to be native mm -hmm. and to kind of like, I don't want to say manifest, but to kind of create that desire and that wish into an item such as fashion, such as mm -hmm. jewelry, such as mm -hmm. art, pieces, any film, anything that we do. So the fact that like we have so many of these new influences coming into fashion it's beautiful to see and for example we're going to go back to that dear woman skirt because it's, yes. it's an obsession that dear woman skirt would someone have made that without seeing the res dog episode of dear woman i'm not too sure because that even beforehand was taboo to talk about mm -hmm. and i know that people are like we don't talk about dear woman during these certain times we don't um illustrate or do things sorry i have a cat and um I think, you know, just from that episode being out there and just from us knowing and for it being put out there and told creates a new influence and people can say, hey, it's finally okay that we talk about this or it's okay that we can create and we've kind of have like all these different influences that are allowing us to create and make new things. I think it's so fun. I love seeing like indigenous comic-con that's like one of my favorite things ever is just seeing like the indigenous representation of characters but also to see people like make certain characters indigenous and it's just like it's so fun to see and to see it in fashion especially in fashion to see like people making their own like my favorite thing with sterling harjo he said that like his own auntie made like bootleg res dog shirts yeah. like something <laughs> just to see something <laughs> like that like <laughs> creating just native people creating more and more um while i was working on marvel because i was working on echo last year last summer i put together a list of artists for people to use in production for us to kind of like bring more authenticity to our 
set deck, costumes, props, jewelry, everything. I made a list of native artisans and it was something I was just messing around with, but then it got to the point where it's like 10 pages long now. And to see a huge chunk of like ready to wear indigenous fashion makes me tear up every single time because I just remember being like, man, I wish I could like go to school and wear like some cool native fashion or something, but everything's expensive. And, um, you know, I'm in high school, but like to see that there's ready to wear fashion from all these different designers, from people that are like Ojibwe, people that do sweatshirts, people that do t-shirts, um, like jean jackets and even jeans. Like we have a native jean company. Yeah. Are you aware of that? It's like, it's out there. <laughs> it's out there and our time is now and it's like forever growing. And I think the pandemic also really helped out with that too. Like as devastating and as hurtful of a time it was, it really taught people that what they do isn't just a hobby and that it's art. And it's something that they can hone in and work on and kind of like build as a professional life. Amazing to hear. Um, can you talk about what it means or your observations or your thoughts about non-natives uh, uh, either wearing indigenous designs um, or uh, working indigenous designs into their own maybe design work? So one of my favorite um, brands is called Faherty, F-A-H-E-R-T-Y, Faherty brand. They do like beach wear, kind of like surfer mixed with like camp, like camping style, like outdoors kind of lifestyle stuff. But they did some like tribal inspired designs and then they actually what they actually did is they flipped the script and they started working with native designers and <laughs> they've been a company of like 10 years now so they have like doug goodfeather stephen paul judd um bethany yellowtail and a couple of other native people that they've worked with specifically to do anything that they want like kind of tribal design and i've had a, i have a couple pieces of theirs and i genuinely love it I'm not an outdoorsy person, but mm -hmm. I love the fact that they work with native people and they're like getting it down straight. So when you wear these designs, you know that it came from an actual native person. And they're just like, they're the one company I've worked with because I've done like creative directing stuff for them. And um, we've had a couple conversations. They're like the best company that actually works with native people and gets those designs out there. But I think there are many companies out there who have appropriated so badly and don't ever want to admit that they've appropriated and mm -hmm. the different and the main difference between appropriation and appreciation is if you're taking and if you're giving back mm -hmm. appreciation is always about giving back and showing that you have that respect and that love and the care for where the designs came from or where a certain uh, motif came from like you're honoring that motif and those people who mm. are behind it appropriation is straight up just taking something and being like you know what whatever it's fine like um there was something recently with aviator nation i think is what it's called they mm -hmm. had moccasins featured in their campaign for these like track suits that they did and everyone was going ballistic over these moccasins and they were like oh a we bought these from a lakota person and that was like it for their explanation they never said like who they bought it from who the artist was which reservation where do they get it why wow. is it in the campaign they just said oh we bought it from a lakota and everyone's like that's not that's not okay like that's not reasonable but they were advertising and selling moccasins that were like actually really well done like i was like did you get these done in a factory or are these like actually native made like you can just tell just from like the stitching and everything like that but i think overall appropriation is just straight up stealing and never wanting to admit that you steal and I think there's so many people that do it, but there's so many, like, there's so many companies that are realizing it. And I wish I could tell you what I'm working on, but I can't. But when it comes out, <laughs> we'll have another podcast so I can tell you. <laughs> because you guys are going to be like, what? And it's going to be amazing. But that NDA. Yeah. That NDA, man. <laughs> it's all right. NDAs are temporary. <laughs> Yeah, right, there'll be a moment where the NDA doesn't matter. Yeah, so yeah, you have to come back. I will come back. You guys will be so shook. Oh, I was gonna say, do you have like um, thoughts and ways that, like, for the non-native people to approach 
designers and that kind of thing do you have like an idea of how they should do it like recommendations i guess if you were to say if we had like a non-native listener who's like oh i want to put somebody's artwork Sean's dress in here would you <laughs> was there a way that you would recommend that they would approach that as opposed to just saying oh i bought these i'll send navajo dude and now we're going to put in all our advertisement my biggest thing is collaboration and recognizing it as collaboration and not just your own work but realizing that it takes two people to create something and if you're truly wanting to have an indigenous artist work with you on something and to recognize that collaboration also comes with proper compensation that's the point that's the t because we have so many native people who collaborate with non-native companies that never get paid never get treated properly and who get the short end of the stick so they can look good with diversity and um, look good with native representation but they never get compensated properly so i think the best way to approach it is to find an artist that you admire to tell them your vision and to be honest with what you want to do with that work and where you want to place it and be honest with the numbers and that's probably like a smarter way to do it because then you have an original piece that is collaborated for your product and i think that would be like i think that's the win-win you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely like you're also like bringing in all these different audiences to a new piece before you we have to let you go uh i want to make sure that we get in a little bit of uh some of your film work and both your own and the stuff that you're doing for others but you've got a film right the daily life of mistress red it's out in variety of different festivals can you tell us a little bit about that Sure. The Daily Life of Mistress Red is about a native dominatrix who whips white supremacists as a form of self-healing. It's a mockumentary, not a documentary. It's not about a real person. It could be. It's derivative, though. It is derivative. We'll say that. We have a lot of Indigenous talent behind this film. It's not just my child. It belongs to so many people. Um, Incredible Oklahoma cinematographer Sunrise Tipikani did such a beautiful job with bringing this story to life and creating so many dynamic images all the best angles of a um, white supremacist being uh, (laughs) flagellated so thank you sunrise (laughs) yeah thanks uh for letting me (laughs) so so there was that sunrise's choice to get that angle on those on on the bed there (laughs) you got to get the best angle you just got to go where you got to go for the art Money shot. The artist must never avert their eyes. What I loved about Mistress Red um, is the fact that it's so racy, uh, racy and sexy, better than racist and sexist. With a story like this, it's fun and it's campy. I love campy humor. I've always been a huge fan of horrible movies since I was a child. I've watched really artsy fashion movies. I was into fashion magazines, but also watching campy movies. And I think that Native people do belong in the genre of camp. There are certain things that we do that is so raunchy or goofy. And it's like, why are you saying that? We are literally having lunch after church. But, um, you know, I think Native people always tend to have the best sense of humor. And something like this kind of just encapsulates that and just kind of brings all of us together to be like, man, you know what? That movie was wild, but someone had to say it. Someone had to do it. And uh, I just loved working with so much Native talent. We had our crew was like predominantly native women, which was incredible. So we had native women behind the scenes and in front of the camera. And we had just like so many different people there on set. We were all in an Airbnb. Like this is, it, it felt like a bunch of cousins coming together. Honestly, we like rented this huge house in Santa Fe. People drove over and stayed the night in the house. We were shooting. We used it as like shooting location, hotel. We used it for like even having our crafty set up and having lunch in there. And it just, it felt like a community piece. It honestly felt like making films with relatives and people just being so sensitive to the nature of it as well. Um, Especially since it covers like BDSM and kink and um, just people being understanding of that and understanding that we had a safe word on set. And when the safe word was said that it meant like the cameras were off or you had to like turn your back and we were just like done. You know, just to have that intimacy of Native women tell the story through acting into deep to like reach into the deep parts of themselves and to be vulnerable with that many people in the room but and especially since it being native you know it was really nice it felt so it felt so easy to shoot and I know that 
this was not an easy project, but it just felt so natural and so good. And I'm just so happy for the places it's going now. I've kind of like taken a tour in my own hands because it didn't do too well festival wise. I'm going to be completely honest. Um, I submitted to 58 festivals and got into eight. Um, I applied wow. for LGBTQ kink and um, even like comedy fests and it didn't do well. And I think even though we have as much representation in Hollywood with native people, I don't think people are still ready to hear native stories. Like people say, oh yeah, we have representation. It's like, yes, but are you ready for like all the stories? Are you ready to hear from everybody else? Like, mm -hmm. I just don't think that there's that much of a market for it. And I did like, I did everything that you do for films, you know, you micro um, label yourself. Like you label your films, mm -hmm. you do like mm -hmm. everything. You try to submit it into all these different places. Never got into an LGBTQ plus festival. This film is pretty gay. I'm pretty gay. So it's just crazy. Pretty... Yeah, I know. that's crazy. Yeah, that's 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 weird. And I I think a part of it too is because there are so many layers of this film that it it goes against the idea of what natives are, because you know you don't have a Fifty Shades of Grey of native films even though a lot of native people are sexy you know and very sexualized and it's and i think that's something that we we miss in a genre that we are not seeing i mean we're not we may be sexualized in a negative way but not in, in, in an empowering way and this kind of you know just builds up on those kind of layers and also the layer of humor and i'm i'm worried i'm, I'm not worried i'm wondering if people didn't think they didn't know when to laugh did you feel like there was times when people because you know we had native humor where Indians are just laughing all the time. And then, and then when you go into just other different communities, they're it, they're not sure if that's supposed to be funny or not. Did you is that do you did you have any sense of that or anything like that? I absolutely did because the first place that this film actually screened on the festival circuit when I was in Atlanta for Echo, um, I was submitted to the Atlanta Shorts Fest. And they they put Mistress Red in the let's talk about sex segment and everyone was laughing at like these kind of like indie white led raunchy films you know they're like omg a dildo haha mm -hmm. they'd laugh at it but when my film came on i looked at the audience and i was like i just need to take a note i was like they're yeah i'm the only native person here um there are two other people maybe like four other people of color everyone else is white and you know, you would just hear them kind of like get quiet when it was like, I drink white tears on fetishfantasy.com. There was kind of like a silence, but the people of color, like all of us in the room were just like cracking up. But yeah. I could tell that there was like a different tone to be mm -hmm. set, but some of the jokes they thought were funny. But then I was like, okay, how many are these people mm -hmm. like Republicans because we're down in Georgia? Like, I just want to know. <laughs> right. But yeah, there is a different tone and a different sense of uh, comedy, but the places I've taken it so far have gotten a lot of laughs from it, even on like the awkward parts that I didn't think were funny. Um, people have taken the humor in their own hands and kind of have at it. But um, one of the most rewarding screening experiences was I did a panel with um, Sterling and Britt Hensel mm -hmm. at the... Um, Eastern Band Cherokee Indian. Mm -hmm. We did like a little movie screening and it was, I think it was like the way we see the world is what it was called. Mm -hmm. And it was screened in front of maybe like a hundred Cherokee people. And we were all in this like amphitheater and just hearing the loud, like standing ovation afterwards and people laughing and people like wow. were crying after it. I was like, oh crap. Like they like, it. I was like, okay, well at least it's not hated. <laughs> Because I was feeling, I was feeling kind of bad because I was like, man, I'm like submitting to all these festivals and not getting into anywhere. But I've kind of just decided to take a tour of my own and not just stick to festivals, but to find ways to make it accessible to everybody. So doing separate screenings and attaching a drag show to it out in San Francisco is one of the ways I'm doing it. I'm attaching mm -hmm. a drag show, the film screening, and then a Q&A, like kind of the evening to bring out mm -hmm. people from the community to be able to see it. Because everyone's always asking, where do I see it? 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's best to make it accessible, but make it an event for people too. It's also this idea of having the non-native audience catch up with us because it's always this thing where they put us in these boxes and they just want to hold us there. And then even like with Sterling, you know, mentioning Sterling, you know, Sterling's a hilarious guy. He's a really funny dude. But in his earlier films, they're funny, but there's also this real serious thing. And a lot of people just focus on the serious. And it's it's almost like in one interview, he was talking about how like Indians will be laughing at the right scenes, but mm-hmm. you go see with non-natives, they took it really seriously. And mm-hmm. so I think you doing this again, like like even with you know, trying to get people comfortable to work with Marvel, is like you kind of leading this this way of saying. Mm-hmm. We are people of multiple layers. We're not mm-hmm. just this, you know, stoic Indian. We're not just this whatever box you want to put us in, but we're bigger than that. We're a whole lot more. And we're, you know, we're we're funny. We're cool. We're beautiful. We're all these great things, you know. And so that's cool that you did that, even though, you know, it's not getting, you know, all the all the all the hype that you need to be getting. But it's still <laughs> cool, you know. And uh and one of the things that like makes me happy is because like I remember when I'd hang out with your family when I lived in Santa Fe and you would tell me these stories you had and, and one of them was about mm-hmm. the native zombie story. You remember that? Yes. Oh my God. A throwback. <laughs> we love I actually I read that the other day. I have it written down. I have like a little log line for it. I will send it to you. It's in one of my boxes here because I just moved in, but I love it. I remember yeah. that. I was so like again like you and sunrise like growing up seeing native film and seeing y'all like make stuff was so effing inspiring like just seeing you guys like do it and seeing you guys work on stuff i was like oh shit i can do that someday so like yeah, it's yeah, just seeing what I yeah. Work on. oh i can do that someday i can do that right now shit yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Literally, literally like i remember like being a child and be like sunrise can it be in one of your movies and then i realized that was horrible acting and then the first project sunrise and i did together was mistress red but um you guys really set it up for us like y'all don't get credit but like y'all set it up for us to feel comfortable to be in these spaces and to actually go for it so that's something i'm always thinking about i'm like man i remember working on sydney's feature mm-hmm. film for john mm-hmm. finest mm-hmm and thinking about like everyone that I would see for India Market when they did the uh, Class X, like the screenings and watching all the submissions for Swaya. I remember Stephen, Stephen Paul Judd's like first film or one of his first films. It was uh-huh. like the world's best Indian taco. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And my mom had that on DVD. And yeah. I just remember like sitting there and watching all of them and be like, wow, this is so cool. I'm like, people actually made this. this yeah. Incredible. So Y'all don't get enough credit, but y'all have really like inspired me and so many people too. So thank you. <laughs> Especially Sunrise. I'm sure he came to you with like piles and piles of research of because <laughs> that's what he does did with me. And I, and I was like, oh yes, this is the guy I need to take with me on every film I make. <laughs> well, I'm just excited for the future. I mean, like Pichon's going to be inspiring people, even though right now she's having difficulty in like the festival circuit that means really nothing compared to the fact that like you're showing it to the right audiences and they're all laughing and there's like applause like that means that it's working and you just need to get it to those particular audiences but just think about like the the place that we're in now everybody has more access to media and and more skills and the next generation that you're a part of and the generation that's after that are just going to be really skyrocketing even farther. Like I'm, uh, I just can't wait to see the things that do happen. And uh, you're an exciting period. You're so young and you're so talented, and you have all of these possibilities. And uh, you're the one that's really going to be, you know, taking us to new places that we've never been. You're already doing it, um, and that's really amazing to, to see. And it was a privilege to be a part of it. But uh, you're just going to be, you know, off in another stratosphere, taking us all with you wherever that goes. Um, More kinky film. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, guess what? Part two. Part three. Yeah, part two. Yeah. Uh-huh. Part two, part three. Um, uh-huh. I was originally hoping it would be a web series or like a TV uh-huh. series because I 
originally wrote the short as like a character pitching short. And when I was like, oh, this is going to be like a series. Mm-hmm. And then I remember talking to a couple people and I brought it up recently. And someone's like, wow, that's so racy. You should try it on Vice or something. And I was like, wow. wow. I was like, okay. I was like, that sounds great. Thank you. And then I looked at Vice and I was like, oh, y'all are not doing well. I'm like, y'all are, y'all are at right. the bottom. I was like, wow, right. okay. Right. I was like, dang, all right. I was like, did I just get roasted? <laughs> Settle. I, I, I was like, I was like yeah. humble and done told me, just go make it yourself. I was like, God. Like, humble, thank you. Thank you, creator. But, well, um, that'd be, that'd be <laughs> fun as a, as, a, as a series. If it was, I mean, I don't know how you, but in my brain, I was hearing it as like this behind the scenes in a in a in a dom industry where each episode brings in different people who are the clients mm-hmm. and all the things that happens in the in a you know almost sitcomish kind of way. It's how I heard. I don't know if that's what you thought, but that was my, <laughs> but it sounded yeah. like a cool show. <laughs> yeah, but like I've met with this film, like I've met so many native um dominatrixes. And that's like been the most empowering thing ever is like having someone message me via Instagram be like, hey, I'm a native dominatrix. And like, if you ever want me to come to a screening, I don't know, dress up or something, let me know. And I'm like, wow, this is so cool. I'm like, I'm protected by like native dom moms. Love it. I think it's fun. And I also think it's like hilarious to hear people kind of talk sexy after it. Like, I don't know why, but it always happens that way. Like people always come up to me like, hey, yeah, I'm like that too. And I'm like, why are you looking at me like that, my man? I'm like... <laughs> Like, like fucking sick. You're my cousin. Just kidding. <laughs> Dude, related. Go to find out. I'm like, I'm like, girl. Okay, we cousins, but you know, it's always just kind of like the side eye thing. Um, but I, but I love that people watch this and truly feel compelled to tell me more about it. I'm just like, mm-hmm. I was on a panel. And they're like, I forgot how we got into it, but I was like, I'm surprised more natives aren't doing BDSM because we're so good at making leather stuff and we're so good at beating. And I, yes. and I was like, we are so talented. There are so many ways to do like indigenous BDSM. Like I was talking to a basket weaver and she was like, yeah, we watched your class or we watched your um, screening in Cherokee and all the elders the next day were talking about it and like hitting each other with like river reed while they oh, were like I- weaving <laughs> and calling themselves like mistresses. And I was like, do it for the elders. <laughs> cause I thought, cause honestly, when I made this, I thought that it'd be more appealing for my age group wrong dead wrong it's like for people that are like older than me yeah because i've gotten more response from people that are older saying like you know this really helped me with like empower empowerment and knowing that like i can be empowered by my body and growing up being ashamed of it and i think now it's like the generation i'm in and below they're like all over tiktok they're like well aware that they are in charge of their body and have autonomy and have the way of like being able to dress however you want and it not leveling to consent but like the fact that like the generation before me went through that shame and went through that like hard time and watching this film so like I I thought it was for people my age completely wrong it's for the elders and I love it and I'm just <laughs> it's a form of elder cinema <laughs> that's fascinating a... <laughs> <laughs> I just want, I just want that to be my um tagline <laughs> Um, Pichon Bread, um, queer um, filmmaker, films for the elders. Yes. Um, Aho <laughs> with the feather emoji. And all the things you're saying right now, it feels like they're just episodes right in themselves, really. All these, like, you know, general scenarios that you're giving. Uh, oh, yeah. If it were I'm, series. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm working on an Amazon show. I finished up my contract before the strike. And um, I'm just waiting to write, but it's going to be like a raunchy native um broad city if you guys have ever seen broad city Mm -hmm. so it's going to be super raunchy and crazy but i'm writing the pilot episode um with another well-known native writer and i'm excited to write about that and just to bring in more native raunchiness because like Mm -hmm. it needs to happen there's so much that happens and people never get away with because someone's always telling someone else's story you know like um one of the episodes takes place at IHS and <laughs> As, yeah, you can only imagine what happens at IHS and it's based off a true story of mine where I came in and um, my nurse, she was like, Oh, Brad, are you Kiowa? And I looked at 
Jenner starts sweating bullets. I was like, yes. And she's like, okay. <laughs> we'll get your we'll get your blood work done and I'll let you know if we're related or not. And leaves, shuts the door and leaves. And I was like, that's kind of like what's gonna happen in the future is like more native raunchiness in the future. Um, I definitely want to write more LGBTQ plus and like two-spirited shorts. There's something I'm planning where it's like gonna be done all in Comanche language, really dramatic and you know, cinema heavy um, and really heavy on Comanche language as well. So that's kind of like one of the artsy things I want to do in my life. Um, I want to do a Hallmark film someday is my dream, but that's on the far back shelf. But so far, <laughs> I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to knock out some cool genre things I've always wanted to try. I think I, I think I'm happy with the mockumentary. I just want to go into something really dramatic and then hop back into comedy. Yeah, one of our uh, co-hosts is just wanting to have that uh, rom-com, the native rom-com. So you doing the the uh, Hallmark film could probably fit within that category. Or is it going to be a Christmas movie? <laughs> All I'm going to say is it's going to be like maybe a Christmas movie, something where like some city girl falls in love with like the red medicine man or something like That's that. You know. Just... <laughs> yeah fantastic you'll have to shoot that here they shoot a lot of them here i know that's what i heard that's that's Mm -hmm. why that's why i'm looking at it i'm like the hallmark movie might be closer to my future than i imagine and i want danny devito to be in it um i think he'd be a great uncle like i think he'd be a great uncle-in-law well he kind of has already has right i guess right in in there like uh it's always sunny he like right like oh a... yeah <laughs> <laughs> right he's like wearing braids or whatever did he claim native or something i missed that episode yeah it's like when they're shooting one of the like the loaded weapon or lethal weapon no those episodes are forbidden they're not on hulu anymore yeah you have uh-huh. to find the dvd to get yeah. them i've looked right. trust me right so uh, any last questions you you kind of gave us a little tease we know that you might be coming back we'll hear more what is your dream <laughs> For the future of fashion. In my wildest heart, my biggest indigenous heart, what I dream for the future of indigenous fashion would be more like fashion houses collaborating with designers. I want to see some like Jamie Okuma Gucci, you know, I want to see, I want to see like Tom Ford and like Orlando Dugai menswear kind of going back and forth. I want to see mm. I want to see some native people hitting up huge runways, like in the middle of, in like different parts of the world, not just in the U.S. Like I want to see them in Paris. I want to see them in Milan. I want to see, I want to see so much representation and different designs and just so many cool things in the world. I just want to see all of it and to see people who are within, and I hate to say people in power and fashion. I hate to say that um, people with influence in fashion pull up indigenous voices like i remember recently they did like a sustainable fashion show and it was like i think it was prada or someone i forgot who it was but i'm like you guys like contribute the most waste Mm -hmm. and all you did for your sustainable fashion was be like oh we made it out of cotton like okay (laughs) what else did you do what organizations (laughs) did you give back i'm like did you have quanta chasing horse who was like the Mm -hmm. environmentalist model did you actually like give back to indigenous societies did you recognize that indigenous people mm-hmm. are saving the planet and you're having a fashion mm-hmm. show like did you do any of that like i just hope to see more indigenous people in bigger places uh well i think we'll uh end here we've got a lot of things to think about and we'll have to linger and anticipate in suspense when we come back um and hopefully people will see your film do you have an idea of where it's playing soon besides like yeah so it's going to be at dead center film festival which is coming up june um june 8th it's june 8th to the 11th yeah absolutely so i'm screening friday night saturday night saturday night and sunday night so you cannot say that you didn't make it because it's three times at night (laughs) i don't care what powwow's going on 
you cut through supper break come see my film just kidding <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's a short but, film so you got time you just go there and watch it bring your bring your fry bread <laughs> eat while <my> watching <laughs> go back yeah, yeah go back <laughs> i'm like go back i'm like go back and call winners they're gonna call winners by the time they're done with my yeah. film anyway yeah <laughs> but um yeah it'll be in oklahoma city i'll be there uh representing and jane myers will be there as well who is the producer and I will have posters for everybody. So, like, if you want to slide by, I can, like, mm-hmm. give you guys posters. Yeah. Do a little and I'll give some. Absolutely. I'll give some to the real Indigenous team as well. Ooh, yeah. First on my list. Absolutely. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out and driving across town and uh, giving us some of your valuable time. Um, and we can't wait to have you back and hear what worlds you're changing at that point uh, thank you so much no, thank for you having me. so uh everyone in the podcasting audience we want to thank you for listening and uh we'll catch you soon at some indigenous time on this indigenous channel and as always don't just keep it real keep it, keep it real, real indigenous, indigenous.